The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about managing risk, and especially in a hostile world. And in fact, that's part of the name of this book, Threat, Managing Risk risk in a hostile world and this is by mcdonald Osh, Osh, and don we're going to call him don he is ceo and chief risk analyst of boston-based zero point risk research llc and the firm conducts operational risk research advice and consult to a variety of clients his concentration is in corporate breach investigations which we hear about all the time and this would involve intellectual property, trade secrets, and regulated information. He's a subject matter expert on cybercrime, cyber threats, cyber disinformation, cyber terrorism, and economic espionage. All the most scary things that are happening right now in our society. And as I said, he is the author of this new book, Threat, Managing Risk in a Hostile World. And this is published by the Institute of Internal Auditors Research Foundation. And intellectual property from the book Threat has been developed into research methodologies known as the Enterprise Threat Index Predictive Risk Impact Scenario Modeling, or X-PRISM. He is currently working on another book, one about the major mistakes that companies have made in managing enterprise risk. He has spoken at a bunch of conferences all over the, the U.S. and Europe. And he is a trusted advisor to the bipartisan United States Secrecy Commission under Daniel, Senator Daniel Patrick Monaghan. And he has uh, just got wonderful, you know, uh, he's a distinguished fellow of the Poneman Institute like I am. So that's how I originally found out about him. And he has also been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, the Boston Globe, Kiplinger's uh, Business Week, Forbes, CNN, CNN.com, and he's appeared on ABC News for both radio and television, and he's contributed articles to the Toronto Star, the Boston Globe, Miami Herald, and on and on and on. And you can find out more about him and the work that he does in his book at zeropointrisk.com and also at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you'll see his picture, the JPEG of his book, and we link uh, the URL to his website. And I'm just so glad you're joining us all the way from Boston. Thanks for joining us, Don. Oh, Mari, it's a pleasure to uh, to join you this afternoon. Well, it's it's a scary world that we live in. 
And uh, I know that you are doing things to, to make it a little bit of a better place for us. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Now, in your practice, what are the most serious trends that you see in cyber attacks? Well, we see a lot of them. Uh, none of them are particularly sunny uh, in perspective. We see a lot of them. Uh, number one is we see what, what I don't know what else to call it, but a boldness uh, by organized crime, uh, particularly operating out of the Russian Federation and throughout Eastern Europe. So in almost every breach investigation that we conduct, we do find um, uh, the presence of, of organized crime. So that, that's one trend. Uh, when it comes to the theft of intellectual property, trade secrets, uh, disruption, uh, we see China involved as a nation state engaged in technology or economic espionage. Uh, one of the trends that we see we call proximity attacks, where uh, if you're being attacked logically or over the Internet from offshore, is there a local proximate present that represents a companion or an accompanying threat to that cyber attack? So, for example, if someone was attacking uh, your organization uh, over the Internet, might there be someone outside of your building attacking you simultaneously through a wireless network trying to get you to click on a wireless network that would download a Trojan or some type of malware onto your system. And, of course, when we're talking about organized crime, there's always the concern of does that proximate threat also represent a physical threat uh, to any of the executives of the target company. We've seen some extremely bold actions on the part of organized crime uh, that are attacking companies as well as attacking executives, not physically yet. We haven't seen that, but we have seen them post a lot of information about mm. CEOs at companies, and it, it, it just seems to be getting worse. Mm. We also see the use, in a number of cases, of child pornography linked to cyber extortion and blackmail. Mm. So we have investigated cases where uh, clients' brand names uh, and their websites have been linked uh, to child pornography uh, mm. websites, and they try to extort the company, uh, to pay them a lot of money to not publicly broadcast that website and that link to child pornography. Oh so it's, it, it's really just terrible, and it seems to be getting worse. Um, the other trend that we see is franchising. Uh, this is what we call criminal franchising, and that is someone will uh, uh, breach the security of a major company. They'll build a website that looks just like it, uh, but it'll usually be written in Russian and then translated to English. They'll try and capture logon IDs, passwords, mm. and they'll set it up as an investment site. And then what they'll do is they'll actually sell the access to that uh, to other criminal organizations. So what they do is you may take that website. It was uh, uh, created by a hacker. They'll sell rights to use that scam website to other organized groups. They'll take a cut of the profits 
and they'll make more money in the long run that way and <laughs> diversify their risk. Oh, my gosh. These guys are so creative. It's, it's amazing to me. And, and they obviously are real techie. They're very cyber savvy, right? Yeah, I mean, not only that, unlike many of our clients, they're very willing to invest very heavily in the technology that enables them to defeat the security that's resident at our client sites. And then, you know, for law enforcement, and I'm sure you guys work together with law enforcement, but law enforcement, and I know being a sheriff reserve here in Orange County since 2000 and being on the high-tech crime unit, um, at least for the sheriff's reserve unit, they just, I mean, they don't have the resources. They don't have that technology. How do you keep up with this stuff? You know, it's very difficult. And in many of the cases, not, not all of the cases, but I would say, in the overwhelming majority of cases, we usually do bring in uh, the FBI, uh, sometimes Homeland Security, uh, Immigrations, Custom Enforcement, or ICE, uh, and other agencies uh, as necessary. Yeah. It's a huge law enforcement issue. Uh, sometimes it may be the drug enforcement uh, folks uh, that we bring in because this is also related to narcotics trafficking mm. and money laundering. Wow. Uh, so we, we had a case that uh, did involve uh, organized crime, narcotics trafficking, and identity theft. So, uh, yeah, uh, and it's very difficult for law enforcement to get their arms around it. So they have databases where they do a lot of pattern matching, but there's got to be a significant criminal action taking place before law enforcement will willingly uh, drop one case that they're working on and go to work on another. So there's got to be an immediate threat or a significant financial crime that's taken place before you'll get the attention uh, of the FBI. Or if there's child pornography involved, uh, right. they, will, they will get involved quicker uh, when that is the case. But they're, they're involved in many of our investigations. And, and they don't have the resources. So if a company has this threat and they hire someone like your company and then you put together the case, then you're more likely to get law enforcement involved when you bring it to them on a silver platter. That's been my experience, at least. And that is, uh, Mari, that's absolutely uh, been our experience. If you develop the case and create a certain standard that the FBI knows that it's going to meet that standard before you take it to them, they will listen and they will act much more aggressively than if someone just calls them and said, hey, we think we've been hacked. Right. They just don't have the resources, and they're going to they're gonna hang up and say, sorry, come back when you get something more. But, yeah, that's, so that's why your particular company and companies like that are so critical. You know what really scares me, though, Don, is when you're talking about all these problems, and I, I don't know if you work with the government, too, but I worry about when you're talking about these, you know, proximity attacks where, you know, um, for example, uh, our water systems, right? I worry mm-hmm. about our water system that they can, if that everything going on a smart grid, if everything, if electric and and gas and water and everything goes on a smart grid, and these Chinese nationals or these Russian nationals or all these cyber criminals, they could just totally destroy our our entire economy, our society, right? You know, I look at our national security and our national safety as being a thin veil capable of being pierced by 
any number of foreign or domestic organizations uh, so easily. It's frightening. Yes. Yes, I, I think the very safety and security of everything that we take for granted, whether it's the distribution of food, uh, the delivery of services such as health care, mm-hmm. uh, transportation, telecommunications, it's all quite fragile, and we take it for granted. And so while we're debating these issues on Capitol Hill, and while we are trying to fend off the you know, cyber barbarians uh, at the gate of our companies and protect intellectual property, trade secrets, and regulated data, there are you know, massive uh, conspiracies and plans uh, that are in the process that aimed at defeating the United States. They right. are aimed at defeating our security. And, and, and I know that sounds kind of dramatic, but I can tell you this. Uh, when it comes to nation-state espionage, China's Program 863, which is their blueprint, a 30- or 40-year blueprint for growth, is almost like a map of what to steal. Mm. When we look at organized crime, it is incredibly invasive. They are involved in virtually every investigation that we conduct. Yeah. Uh, and it is really a very dangerous situation. So when we look at things like you know supply chain, food, water, the basic necessities that we need to sustain our economy and ourselves, right. I think the, the, the level of security that we have is very fragile. I mean, even you think, I mean, it goes on, like you talk about this here, I was looking in your book about this, but, you know, the airports, the, like you said, the food, all the utilities that we have, everything, medical, hospitals, everything, you know, it could just be destroyed by some kind of a a problem with our our smart grid. So, whew, just, uh, I'm, I'm glad that there's people like you out there helping us, though. <coughs> Well, it's it you know it's great to be busy and it's great to have clients, uh, but you know the threat is very disconcerting. Let's talk a little bit about companies because I think there are a lot of companies driving by. We're right in the middle of you know this this is like a little Silicon Valley around here. Mm-hmm. Aliso Viejo is like that in Irvine, and we're on the campus of the University of California Irvine. So, let's talk about how companies are are really handling cyber breaches are they doing it effectively uh the answer is yes and no uh and it really depends on several factors uh, there's a category of companies that tend to handle breaches more effectively than others and that is those that possess regulated data uh, you know personally identifying information personal health care uh, information uh, because the law requires them to have certain programs in place and incident management programs, uh, they tend to be better at it, although we see lots of mistakes that are made. Uh, we've actually worked on breaches where companies had possession of personal health information. They didn't recognize it as such, and they didn't protect it. Uh, so, uh, but in, in, in general, I'll make the general statement that companies that possess Regulated data are generally more prepared uh, to respond to an incident uh, and a cyber attack uh, than those companies that do not possess regulated data. Uh, The other class of company is those that possess intellectual property and trade secrets. They don't have the same 
governmental requirements. You know, throughout the U.S., Europe, APEC, Latin America, they don't have the requirements uh, to protect it. They may have an investment obligation. They may have obligations with their strategic partners, uh, with their bankers, uh, investors, shareholders, uh, stockholders. Uh, but they do not have that requirement, according to the government, to protect information to the same extent. So they are a little less adept at responding uh, to these breaches. And we've done both types of breach investigations. And the ability of a company that possesses regulated data in general uh, is much sharper. They're much faster on the draw. They know what needs to be done in general, and they do it uh, without a lot of guesswork. Now, on the other hand, the companies that are most responsive are those that have been breached previously. Right, right. You they, know, they learned we, their lesson. They it cost them a fortune, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know something? There was a uh, you know there was a very interesting uh, uh, article. It was the lead editorial in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago. It said there are two types of companies: companies that know they've been breached, and companies that don't know it but have been breached. Yeah. And you know we're finding that to be true. We're finding companies particularly with intellectual property and trade secrets as the primary corporate asset, uh, they can be breached, and they don't know it sometimes for years. Right. And that was certainly the case with Nortel. Mm. And, and so they don't have a duty to disclose when it's intellectual property like they do with the security breach laws that are across the country where if they have data, the sensitive data, whether it's healthcare data or social security numbers or personally identifiable information that could be used to commit identity theft, then they have a duty under most laws in, in this country to disclose unless the data has been encrypted. And so that's why they, you know, they have a higher duty like the financial industry and the healthcare industry, right? Oh, that's that's absolutely right. And you know, in, in in some cases, though, you know, as I mentioned, that this is particularly true of service companies. There may be service companies that possess PII or PHI. Sure, sure. Uh, they don't actually recognize it as such. And even though they may have signed contracts with the principal parties, they're not actually protecting that information. Uh, and you know we're 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 working on breaches like this all the time, where they have not disclosed uh, to the principal party for two reasons: number one, they didn't know that they had to, and number two, they didn't know that they uh, were were managing the regulated information, and they don't know they've been attacked. I, sometimes oh, there's a long lead time, and you know unless you're monitoring for this, right. unless you're looking for it, sometimes you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've used the term in your book, evolutionary breach, because we've been talking about breaches. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell what you mean by the evolutionary breach? Sure. You know, if you look at things historically, uh, going back, you know, 15, 18, 20 years, uh, when we were having the very early breaches, uh, you would have what we would call a static breach. Somebody hacks into your website, they deface it, uh, they steal some information, and they're gone. Or they're doing a denial-of-service attack. They knock down your, you know, your communications capability for an hour or a day or whatever, and, and they're gone. What we have found 
and, and we think this is certainly uh, related to the increase in economic and technology espionage, uh, as well as you know the emergence of groups like Anonymous uh, and state-sponsored uh, data acquisition, even on the regulated data side. What we see, though, when we call it evolutionary, is they will uh, uh, attack your website or attack some system uh, in your uh, in your enterprise, and they'll keep doing it. They will, and it's very much like what I talked about a few minutes ago, where you build a, a scam site, and then you start licensing that. Right. So once they actually have their hooks in you, once they have their malware inside of your organization, and unless you know it's there and can get rid of it, the attacks are continuous, and they're able to uh, actually evolve uh, their purpose. So they might come in and they might steal some data. They may come back a few days later or a few weeks later when they think uh, that when when they think that the uh, the client uh, response is completed, uh, they might come back and start stealing again. They wow. may have planted a logic bomb uh, that's planned to detonate, say, ninety days hence. Hmm. You see, they've gotten very smart. One of the things that the bad guys do yeah. is they watch behavior of attacked or breached clients. So they know that when the breach is discovered, there's going to be a week or two where there's going to be an intense campaign to try and find out what happened and remediate the, the, the problem. But after 30 days, there's going to be a decrease or a decline in the level of monitoring and the level of security. People aren't going to be on guard that's a good time to come back and attack again. So what will happen now in these evolutionary breaches is that even though they may not be continuous, uh, they will follow a chain of events at various periods over the life cycle of that, uh, of that breach. And so I think what's changing is the breach life cycle, which used to be very full, uh, short, is now extending. And until the breach is actually contained, they have the option to be active in that environment. Incredible. We are speaking today with the author of Threat, Managing Risk in a Hostile World. We're speaking with Don Ulsh, who is the CEO and the Chief Risk Analyst of Boston-based Zero Point Risk, LLC. You can learn more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy and also at zeropointrisk.com. Don, let me ask you something. Can you ever get any of these turncoats to join your company? Like, I'm thinking of, like, I've had Kevin Mitnick on my show a couple times. You know who he is. Sure. And Kevin has written several books. And uh, so we've had him on our show, and he obviously was the big FBI hacker. He didn't do it to be really malicious. He did it more for fun and and that was kind of the way he was, but he is, you know, now he has his own risk company and he does similar things. And um, can you get, it seems like these people who are doing this are extremely brilliant, very creative. And um, can you ever pull them to the, from the dark side to the, to the light? Well, you, 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 you raise a great example, uh, Maury, when you talk about Kevin Mitnick. Uh, certainly that, that's a great example uh, you know, there are some people that we would uh, uh, consider uh, using, uh, but I think that in many ways, um, the hackers that we see today, I don't think we would for, for a couple of reasons. 
uh, number one, if they've been convicted of a felony, oh, right. it makes it very hard to get them uh, into a client site, and we you know, have a lot of liability right, uh, in right. that. But let's just say that they haven't been uh, uh, convicted. I mean, just uh, to consult with them even, <laughs> you know, not let them into clients. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we might hire them and let's say, how would you do this? How would right. you defeat right. Right. this security um, but, uh, you know, so many of the hackers today do have, um, criminal, uh, organized criminal intent. They are, uh, involved in money laundering, narcotics trafficking. Some of them are involved in terrorist financing. Mm. And I think that the hackers, many of the hackers that we see today, uh, are quite different than the hackers that we saw 10, 12, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And um, and he was from the United States. I mean, he was here. And then, of course, he did go. Remember, he went to prison and he couldn't touch a computer. That was part of his probation. I remember he interviewed me. He was on a radio show. He couldn't even touch a um, a computer uh, for, <laughs> for a long time himself. And he had committed identity theft himself, you know, to, when he was running from the Fed. So he has a, you know, a very colorful past. But um, just using a brain like that without bringing them onto your, uh, you know, your client's site or telling them who your clients are, but just to like, you know, kind of find out what they are thinking, it's just, it's incredible to me. Yeah, you see, it's a reasonable uh, countermeasure strategy uh, to employ someone like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, a, as a consultant. Uh, or an advisor. Yeah, but they um, have to. They must be making a lot of money. Otherwise, they wouldn't do. You almost have to pay them more than they're getting, so that they'll, you know, be on the um, wear the white hat instead of the black hat. Yeah, and you know, there, there, there's also you know another risk, and and that is once you have made contact with them, you don't actually know who is in their circle. Right. And, you know, they may come off as, as being, you know, just a lonely hacker. Uh, and, hey, I'm just doing this for myself. Right. Uh, and they may be paid by some government. They may be, sure. you know, involved in any number of, of, of criminal activities uh, that we are not able to identify. So, you know, we do have to be very careful yeah. uh, about that. I don't even want them to have my email address. I know. I know it's, it, you know, it, it is, it's, it's very scary. It is incredibly scary. Now, um, what about the reputation risk? We don't have a lot of time. I'm thinking we just have a couple minutes, but sure. you know, those companies that are driving by right now and, and they're worried about their reputation. What do you think about that reputation risk? Uh, I would actually tell you that I would consider that to be perhaps the greatest risk of all because your reputation actually is the result of an impact, of a risk impact. Uh, we can talk about threats, we can talk about, you know, uh, risk, but the impact of a threat translates into your reputation. And reputation translates into potential loss of market share, loss of financial value of your organization, uh, loss to shareholders and investors, and that's very hard to reclaim. And I think reputation risk is the emerging risk that companies face today, uh, and organized crime understands that. Yep. And so they capitalize. That's, that, it's the whole reputation issue, which is why we have the, emer- the, uh, the uh, entry of child pornography into the hacking community. Uh, 
reputation is everything. And if you're associated with child pornography, you're on the evil list right away. And that's your reputation and the company's reputation. Yeah, and your trademark is just, forget it. Well, we are out of time, Don. This was just really fascinating. Your book is wonderful. I just love the cover of the book, too. Threat, Managing Risk in a Hostile World. Um, I will make sure that people want you to just give your website, and then we have to go. It is zeropointrisk.com, and it's been a real pleasure, and thank you so much, Mari. Well, thank you, and we will have you back again. Keep up the great work and wear that white hat all over the place, okay? (laughs) Thank you very much. Okay, you've been listening to, thank you so much, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for privacy piracy and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see our upcoming guests download podcasts and write us about what's concerning you about privacy in the information age thanks so much stay private the opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI its management or the UC Board of Regents